The story you're about to hear was told to me in the strictest of confidence. Certain names, dates and locations may have been changed to protect that confidence. Events that feature in this story may be part of the public record. If you believe you recognise any of the people, places or events that feature in this story, I ask you not to reveal any information publicly out of respect for the subject's right to remain anonymous. My name is David Paul Nixon, and this is the New Ghost Stories podcast, where we delve into the New Ghost Stories archive to hear witness accounts of the supernatural. Stories that could be delusions, lies, fantasies, or perhaps even the real thing. Just don't make your mind up until you've listened. It's hard to keep a secret in the 21st century. Almost anything that was once private can become public. We're always sharing things now. We're Instagramming our holidays and nights out and afternoons at home. We're tweeting about our jobs, what we had for lunch, how long it took to clean the dishes. If you want to get to know someone, who they hang out with, where they live, just look them up. Almost everything you need to know is there for you to browse through, like and comment on. And while we upload, share, connect. The websites watch us, learn about us, record and collect data so they can understand us more, so they can sell that knowledge and use it to manipulate us into sharing more, interacting more, and giving away more. Now that our lives are so much more public, you'd expect us to be more careful with our secrets, the things we'd prefer that others didn't know, that would expose us as being not quite what we seem. But today's technology knows that we are endlessly open to temptation. And that out there, online, every idea, every possibility, every unusual belief or enthusiasm is catered for somewhere. And if technology can connect us to friends, colleagues and fellow hobbyists, it can connect us to people who are rarer, people with alternative beliefs who can share knowledge with us about things we've always been curious about, things that we've always been drawn towards. It wasn't easy in the past to join an underground, transgressive or esoteric community. You had to carefully seek out connections, discover places where fellow travellers frequented, answer messages in the backs of magazines, join mailing lists, Try to understand the coded language in the small ads. Now it couldn't be easier. Access to any community is just a search and a click away. There are Facebook groups for witches, Reddit threads for cannibals, endless file sharing sites for all sorts of perversions. Anyone you meet on the street can be in a coven. Anyone queuing up for coffee can be a practicing druid. Anyone doing their shopping might have unorthodox plans for their evening. And it's so easy to get together and be organised. All it takes is a few WhatsApp messages to organise a ceremony in the woods, or to live stream one from the back garden. You can share and interact at any time and any place. You can live an entirely parallel life that intersects with your everyday life. 
without them ever coming into contact with each other. Our secrets lie in plain sight. And I wonder if we even really care if they're discovered. If the cat gets out of the bag and your pagan practices are discovered by friends, or your extreme political views are uncovered at work, you now have a community to fall back on. People who get you and understand your perspective better, who are passionate about your passions, who will affirm you and who'll rally around and support you if the worst comes out. Secret lives are everyday lives. Simply having a secret is a kind of thrill in itself. And if those secret lives start to look better, why even look back? When today's story took place, it was in the nascent days of the internet. Its impact was only just being felt. So it's hard to say how this group came together, whether its roots go back to those early dial-up days, or if this collective had existed for much longer. A group whose ideas and knowledge was passed down through generations, and that had existed for many, many decades before. But there is one thing that I would bet on, and that's that if this group does still exist today, then it's much larger than it was, and almost certainly more active. Maybe it would have been exposed by now, but then again, who would believe it? That's the other thing about our sharing minimal privacy culture. We don't know what's real and what isn't. We don't know who's play-acting, and who really believes and is willing to act. This case brings to a close a trio of very male-dominated stories. Cases that were never meant to sit side by side. That's just the order they've ended up landing in my case file. But each one has featured some of the more negative and a few of the positive aspects of male behaviour. This episode features teenage boys and their adolescent attitudes towards sex. So be warned, this is going to be a much more explicit edition of the podcast than normal. This is not an episode for those who are distressed by sexual and violent content. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, I can assure you that it's not normally like this. It's just that ghost stories can take all kinds of strange shapes and forms. This is New Ghost Stories, case number 180, and it's called The Girl on the Bench, and you can hear it in full after these messages. Before we begin, I'd just like to ask a little favour. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate and review the show. It really helps people to find the podcast, and that in turn makes it easier to produce more episodes in the future. Thank you. And now, onto the story. Me and my friends, we all loved Lisa Ward. Everyone did. She was a teenage boy's wet dream. She was just incredible. Amazing body. And great tits. Proper full handful tits. Cracking ass too. She was in the year above us, so she was that bit more experienced. And she wore these skirts. They always seemed shorter than everyone else's. And black underwear, so you could see it under a school shirt. She used to have this tight leather jacket too. Oh God, she was so fit. Christ, even the teachers wanted to fuck her. She was fit, and she knew it. But she wasn't a bitch about it, you know. 
She didn't look down on you. I think she liked it, liked it when you looked at her. She wouldn't stick her nose up at you like some of them would. She'd sort of smile at you because she knew you were looking. I mean, if you dress like that, you want them to look, don't you? Fucking sex on legs. No wonder her dad was shouting at her all the time, having a go at her on the front doorstep. Have a daughter like that and you know there are guys who are going to crawl over broken glass to get their hands on her. I mean, it wasn't just the looks, though. It's the way she carried herself. She had such attitude. She wasn't just fit as. She was cool. A real rock chick. Smoked, yeah, but not a lot. She never stunk her fags. She was class. She had everything. She had it all. There were other girls at school, but there was only one Lisa Ward. She used to go out with this guy, Craig Ashley, and we hated his guts. Of course we did. They were proper all over each other all the time. Whenever you saw them, he was a biker, had his own leather jacket and slicked back blonde hair, proper James Dean wannabe. I mean, we hated him. But, you know, we... I guess we didn't, not really. I mean, he was all right. He was in the year above Lisa. So I'd known him at school too. And while some of the other kids would have goes at you, he'd be more like your mate. If he saw someone having a go, he'd tell them to lay off and leave you alone. Loved himself though. Proper pretty boy. He looked like he wanted to be a model or a rock star, but he was really working in a garage. He was into bikes. He used to ride this old fixed up Triumph. We'd have probably thought he was cool if he wasn't touching up Lisa. He used to come up the road on that bike and rev it up as he came so she'd know he was coming. Got to mention she lived up the end of the road, didn't I? God, that made me popular. I mean, we tried everything, me and my mates. Binoculars, telescope, camcorder, mirrors. But he just couldn't get the right angle up the street to see anything. We'd hang out in front of the house, hoping just to catch a glimpse of her in the window. We never did, though. She wasn't stupid. She wasn't going to just undress where we could all see her. We all dreamed about Lisa Ward, but none of us ever came close to going with her. Except me. You'd think I'd want to boast about something like that, wouldn't you? I never told anyone about it, ever. It was so fucked up. So unbelievably fucked up. Her dad and her used to have these fights, and he didn't like Craig. But they never liked the boyfriends, do they? I don't know about the arguments, who said what, but at some point Craig stopped going to see her at the house. Instead, she'd walk to the park across the road. She'd sit on this bench and wait for him. So he'd come along on his motorbike, go straight off the road and into the park and pick her up. Sometimes they'd start feeling each other up and disappear into the bushes. I had a good look, but I couldn't see anything that far. This bench, you could see it right from my bedroom window. There was a row of trees blocking the big open area of the park, but there was this gap where I could see right through to the bench and to where she used to meet him. I'd sit in my room and I'd watch her waiting for him. There was a row of trees blocking the big open area of the park, but there was this gap where I could see right through to the bench and to where she used to meet him. I'd sit in my room and I'd watch her waiting for him. And then when he'd come swanning along on his bike right up to her, I'd watch and I'd... I wish it was me there and not him. It went on like this for months. She'd be on the bench. He'd come pick her up. 
Sometimes he'd bring her home, sometimes he wouldn't. I think he had a place of his own, but I didn't really know him that well. Or what happened to him? Sometime around Easter, and this was when I was in year 10, we heard that Craig had been in an accident. Later we found out that he'd died. What we heard at the time was that he'd tried to overtake on a country road, but had to swerve out of the way of some lorry and had gone head over handlebars at the side of the road and broken his neck. But later the rumour was that he'd been in a bar fight and got stabbed. I don't know, I, I just didn't really know him well. My family didn't either. He wasn't part of the neighbourhood. They put a plaque up at the school. That's all I know. He was 17 years old. We didn't like him, but we were all a bit, you know, upset maybe. We weren't close, but you don't really think about that kind of stuff happening when you're kids, do you? Of course, we all wondered what was going to happen with Lisa. She wasn't at school. As soon as it happened, she was out of class, and it's GCSE year for her, so that was a big deal. She just seemed to completely disappear for a while. The guys would ask me if I'd seen her, but I never saw her. Never saw her walk down the street, never saw her in the window or at school or in their front garden. For weeks, she was just gone. And then one night, it's late, I've been revising because I've got exams coming up too. I look up from my desk about 10 o'clock at night and I see her. First time in weeks. I see her and she's there on the bench again, just sitting like she used to. Foxy as ever. She didn't look any worse for what had happened. She just sits there, doing nothing, waiting. I watch her for ages, just sitting with her hands crossed on her lap and her head hanging down. She must have been there for well over an hour. I don't know when she left. I looked away and then she was gone. I felt sorry for her. I was glad to see her face again, though. I didn't think it was so weird at first because I just assumed she was still upset. Then the next night I was going to bed and just before I went to close my curtains, I saw her again. She was sat in exactly the same spot, waiting for him, just like she used to. That's what she was doing, going back there night after night, waiting for him to come to her, like he was never dead. It was always late after dark. Wasn't every night, but it was most nights. Same spot every time, same position, head down, never looking up. I'd sit and watch her some nights. Sometimes I thought about going out to her, but of course I never had the guts to actually do it. But after a few weeks it was clear she was going nuts. People about the neighbourhood started to talk. People never saw her now, unless she was on the bench. She never left the house any other time, and she never went to school either. It was at GCSEs, but she never went to any of them. The girls at school used to gossip about her, but none of them knew anything. Not everyone had a mobile back then, or email. You couldn't just get hold of people like you can now. No one seemed to know anything about what was going on with her. It was like she'd dropped off the face of the earth, except for at night, when she'd go out to that bench and she'd sit and wait. Months went by. I did my revising night after night, and I'd turn off the lights and she'd still be there. I did all my exams. The year ended. 
and she was still out there, on the bench, waiting. Rumour at school was that she'd just dropped out, hadn't even arranged to do resits. She'd just given up. Seeing her there outside in the park, it almost became normal. Just what you expected. Those nights when she wasn't there, they were the strange ones. Then this one night, it was just after the holiday started. My mate Smithy, his brother was in a band, having a gig above this pub called the Red Lion. We weren't that bothered about seeing his band, we'd seen them practice in the garage. But it was a private do, so Smithy thought we could get some drink on the quiet. So this whole bunch of us went down there and we got smashed, proper smashed. We'd all had a bit to drink before, even got a bit merry, but they were just serving anyone there, they didn't give a fuck. And we got wasted, my mate Daz chucked up in the car park, Smithy's brother had to carry him home. Me, I'd had a pretty good evening. I got pretty confident on a few pints of lager. Got off with this girl. One of Smithy's brother's mates or something. I punched above my weight and got off with an older girl. I felt like a million quid, I can tell you. Cloud bloody nine. I wasn't sick or anything, but I probably wasn't far off. I could walk back to mine from the lions, not too far. So I'm walking there and I take the shortcut across the park, which I would always do. As I'm going, I spot her there, Lisa, out on the bench as usual. This has been going on for ages now. Months have been watching her out there. And I see her and I think, fuck it, I'm going to go talk to her. I'd never have done it if I wasn't drunk. But this time she's lost some of her allure. I mean, sure, she's still drop-dead gorgeous. But she's also a nutter now. I wasn't intimidated by her for being so hot but I was a bit scared of her now for being a bit mental. But I've had a few and I've already won one contest that night, so I just decide to go for it and talk to her. I just walk up to her and go, You are right, darling? You know, in a funny way. She knows me even if she's never really paid me much attention. She raises her head just a little, looks at me through her drooping hair, but doesn't say anything. So I walk over and sit right down beside her, drunk and stupid I just say so how have you been she still doesn't answer so I just keep on talking last week of exams this week so glad to get those over with still can't find a conversation starter it's silent for a moment what'd you come out here for I blurt out every night you're out here why'd you do it why shouldn't I she says almost in a whisper. This makes me a bit more nervous, but I still go on. You're, you know, a good-looking lass. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You don't want to go and throw it all away on one. She turns her head towards me. I get the first good look at her face. I thought she was going to look a bit wrecked, all teary-eyed, mascara running down her face like she'd been crying. But when she looked at me, she was totally made up. She had all her stuff on like she was going out. She looked right at me with her big chestnut eyes and froze me on the spot. Completely took the wind out of my sails. My confidence was just gone like that. She stared at me fiercely and then said, Go on, what were you saying? She had my tongue tied in knots. You were saying how I shouldn't waste my life all on one man. I sort of babbled. Well, I just meant... Should I get another man? 
Suddenly her hand was on my knee. She was walking her fingers up my leg. Almost made me jump. You up to the challenge, hmm? Stud. She was taking the piss. She was going to wind me up and then brush me off. Give me a slap and walk off. I was just about to bail. I was out of my depth. But she knew, noticed somehow, and she put her hand up my back under my coat and hissed in my ear, don't be afraid. Then she moved in and put her tongue down my throat. Fuck me, that was some kiss. It wasn't my first time, but I can't remember any of the other times now. She was proper going for it. I was trembling, but I was also loving it. I got really into it. I put my hands on her, started to touch her. A moment later, she pulled away. She stood up and said, come with me. She pulled me up by my belt and dragged me into the trees. She ran ahead and I ran after her. We pushed our way through the tree branches and bushes and weeds. We eventually found this clearing. She stopped and let me run into her, so we both fell down. She locked her legs around mine and started to kiss me. She pulled off my jacket and started to undo my shirt. I did the same to her, took off a leather jacket and a top clumsily and slowly. Not like her. She does it like lightning, fast, swift and smooth. We're there rolling in the grass together, naked from the waist up. I'm feeling her all over, kissing her shoulders, licking her tits. She slips her hand down my trousers and I almost blow my load right there and then. But I keep it together, stay focused. She unbuttons the top of her trousers. I get up onto my knees and undo my belt. She strips off. I undo my trousers and pull them down to my ankles. She's in front of me now, stark naked. And I'm kneeling before her in my boxers. She's there, glowing in the moonlight. Most sexy, beautiful, dangerous thing I've ever seen. And she's looking right at me, gagging for it. And all I can think of is that I don't have a condom. Fucking sex education has kicked in and I don't have any contraception. What's the matter? She says, staring at me. I don't have a Johnny, I say back. She glares at me with cold fire anger and she says to me, Just do it, you coward. I know it was wrong, but I just couldn't say no. Without hesitating, I pulled down my boxers and shuffled forward. I'm about to put it in, but I feel something move behind me. I don't notice it, try to ignore it, but as I look into her eyes, I see her look past me. Something flashes past my eyes and then tightens around my throat. It forces all the air out of me. It was my belt. Someone had my belt, had it around my neck, and they were choking me. I couldn't scream. I could barely even breathe. They were dragging me backwards. I was forced onto my feet, but I couldn't put them flat. I was being pulled back on my heels. I couldn't turn my head. I couldn't see who was doing it. They made no sound. I fell on my back. They dragged me through the grass like I was nothing, like I was no effort. Just before I blacked out, I looked at her, saw her. She was still on the ground, but leaning up and looking at me and smiling. I passed out. I wasn't out for very long. I can't have been out for more than a minute. I wake up in a flash and she's still there in front of me, lying on the grass naked. Except now she's moving about. Can't move my head. The belt is still around my neck and it's tying me to a tree. 
I'm sat leaning back against it, legs out in front of me, trousers still around my ankles. The belt is tied so tight the back of my head is flat up against the tree. I can't move my neck. I can barely look upward. But I can see her. She's there moving about in the grass, writhing and moaning. Not miserable moaning, I mean sex moaning. She's naked in the moonlight and she's getting off. She's not touching herself up. Her hands are behind her head and the way she's moving. She's getting fucked. She's moving in the grass like someone's thrusting it in. But there's no one there. She's getting fucked and there's no one there. I try to move but I can't. As soon as I try to lift my head, the belt digs in and cuts off the air. I gasp and cough. And then I hear this voice. The voice just says, Shh. Then I realise, I'm not the only one watching. There are people, everywhere, just standing, staring. Ordinary people, men, women, all shapes and sizes, some fat, some thin. There's even one there with a fucking walking stick. They're all watching this girl get it on with a ghost. They've all got like hoods or bags or masks around their faces. You can't see who they are, but there's loads of them. I couldn't tell you how many they're spread out, but spread as far back as I can see, and they just stand silently watching. But she, she's not quiet. She's moving her head from side to side like a porn star, putting it on. She's throwing her arms around, rubbing her tits, saying, God, yes, yes! Christ almighty, I was so scared. I'm shaking so hard, I'm starting to choke myself against the belt. I got my arms up and dug my fingers under it best I could. I tried to stop myself gagging and try to pull. I pulled really hard, my face going blue and my eyes watering. Eventually the buckle breaks. I throw my head forward and I'm gasping for air. She's getting louder and louder now. I don't waste any time. I get up and try to run. I do it so quickly I fall over my trousers which are still around my ankles. I fall on my face in the grass. I get up again quick holding up my trousers. I ran like fuck out of those woods. If anyone saw me leave, I don't think they came after me. Probably too busy watching. As I'm leaving the woods, she comes, climaxes, but with a scream. I swear a real scream of fucking terror, not pleasure. It was a cry of pain, I'm sure. I sometimes still wake up at night sweating when I think of that night and that scream. I run back home let myself in, bolted the back door and made sure all the other doors were locked. Then I went to the front window, stuck my head through the curtains and looked out to see if anyone had come after me. They hadn't. In the morning, my parents found me with my head flat against the window ledge asleep. I had a real bad time trying to explain what had happened. I just pretended it was because I was drunk. I had been drinking and it was easier to admit to being pissed than to seeing whatever the fuck it was that I saw out there. They didn't seem to mind. I think your parents just expect you to start sometime. And then the hangover gave me an excuse to stay inside all day. I didn't want to go out. I didn't know what was out there. Who were those people? Were they my neighbours? Did I know some of them? Christ, every time I saw a man with a stick I thought about pissing my pants. I stayed away from the park after dark after that. Never took a shortcut through. Never even went near it at night. 
I always remember the night after, when tired, wrecked, feeling sick, I went to bed. But before I went, I just pulled apart the curtains a little and looked out to that bench. She was there. But this time, when I looked out, she saw me. She raised her head and looked right at me. Let go of the curtains and dropped to the floor. I never dared look out of those curtains again. Once it was dark, that was it. I didn't want to see into those eyes. I didn't want to look at that girl again. And I didn't. At some point, her family just moved. A for sale sign appeared in their front garden one day and they were just gone. By that time, it was final year and most of my friends were chasing other girls. I still couldn't get Lisa out of my head. It was years before I went near another girl. I get close to doing it, but it would bring me out in a sweat, like a full-on dripping wet sweat. I never told anyone this before. It still brings me out in a sweat sometimes. God knows what happened to that girl. Thank you for listening to the New Ghost Stories podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please consider becoming a patron by visiting patreon.com slash newghoststories. You can also support the podcast by liking or leaving a review on any platform and subscribing to hear future releases. Today's story features in the book 14 New Ghost Stories, which is available from Amazon, Apple Books, and other book retailers. This podcast is written, presented, and produced by me, David Paul Nixon. If you'd like to read more from me, visit my substack at davidpaulnixon.substack.com. You can find out more about New Ghost Stories at my website, newghoststories.com. And for all the latest updates, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at New Ghost Stories. Next time on the New Ghost Stories podcast, in the first of our two-part season finale, facts and fantasy collide when a neglected girl befriends the foxes at the bottom of her garden. Ghost Stories podcast is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Horrified Mag.